our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John. Um, I do have it. Chapter 14, verses 12 through 17. Hear the word of God. This is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever." Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, comforter and advocate. We worship you this morning along with the Father and the Son from whom you proceed. You are our helper and we confess that we need your help to get through our days, to meet our obligations, to find joy and meaning in our struggles. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would not only strengthen us to do the ordinary things that we need to do at work and in our families, letting us see the holiness of simple things, but we pray that you would also strengthen us and encourage us to do extraordinary things in our lives, reshaping our character and forming new habits, in our communities, building bridges and making our world beautiful, in the church, finding God's presence ever more deeply in the company of these ordinary, extraordinary people who are our sisters and brothers in Christ. Holy Spirit, giver of life, your blessings are new each day. And we thank you for the blessing of new life and life newly revealed. We thank you for the safe arrival of Adeline Elise Kearson. And we pray for Hannah and Greg and Evan as they welcome this perfect baby into their family. Holy Spirit, even as we praise you for new life, we pray your help in strengthening and healing our old bodies. We ask you for healing and strength and comfort and vitality. Strengthen our spirits and make us brave even as we care for our bodies. Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, we pray that you would favor and illuminate all those you have given to govern us and to protect civil society. We pray for our magistrates and legislators, for our governors and all who exercise the power of state, that they might protect the public peace, that they might enact justice, that they might serve meekly in your name. These things we pray in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. In all of Scripture, the longest continuous discussion of the ministry of the Holy Spirit shows up here in John chapter 14 through chapter 17. Now usually we think of the Acts of the Apostles as being the place where we see the Holy Spirit shine, the day of Pentecost, the wind and fire in the upper rooms, the speaking in tongues, all kinds of extraordinary miracles. But here in the Gospel of John, on the night of the Last Supper, as part of what we call the farewell discourse, Jesus has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. In our reading this morning, we have the very beginning of this Holy Spirit discussion, And in a couple of sentences, in verses 16 and 17, Jesus mentions four features of the Holy Spirit and our relationship with him. My job in this sermon is to expand a bit on each of those four brief mentions. They are as follow. Number one, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son. Number two, the Holy Spirit helps us. Number three, the Holy Spirit is inside of us forever. And number four, the Holy Spirit reveals truth. But before we dig into those four points, let me offer a preliminary overture to our discussion of the Holy Spirit, a a discussion that will unfold over the course of several weeks. As Christians, we worship the Holy Spirit because he is God because he was present at the creation, because he spoke through the prophets, because he strengthened and comforted the heroes of the faith, because he caused Jesus to be incarnate, because he descended upon and anointed Jesus in the Jordan River, because he filled the cowering disciples with fearless power on the day of Pentecost, because he gave the Apostle Paul specific instructions about where to go and what to do, because he gave the disciples the right words at the right time because he caused them to remember what Jesus had said after Jesus was gone. Because he indwells and makes a temple of the body of each redeemed person because his presence inside of us is our guarantee that we can never be lost, that we can never be taken over by evil. Because his support enables us to win in our daily struggle to subdue our unruly desires. Because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and helps us in our weakness. Because every benefit from union with Christ comes from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the presence of God with us today. Because without the Holy Spirit, we would be deaf, dumb, and blind to God, totally lost in eternal darkness. We Worship the Holy Spirit because he is God and because he is with us here and now. So point number one, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. In the early service last week and in the late service this week, uh, we confessed and will confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. And in that creed are these words. We believe 
in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Now, if you had gone to a Greek Orthodox church this morning, you might have recited these words. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father, and with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. Did you catch the difference? It's just one little word in Latin, three in English. In English, it's and the Son. In Latin, it's filioque. And believe it or not, that one word is what separates the Eastern Church from the Roman Catholic Church and from the Protestant Church, as we are children of the Roman Church. The Roman Church believed that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and one of the verses that they quote in defense of this is John 14, 16, where Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. In the Roman Catholic and the Protestant view, both Father and Son are active in sending the Holy Spirit. In the Eastern Church, there is a desire to maintain the supremacy of God the Father, even over the Son, and so they believe that the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father rather than by the Father and the Son. Now, I think that the Holy Spirit, uh, I think that the Roman Catholic Church is right on this question, and we will see again and again as we work through these next three chapters in the Gospel of John that the Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. Sometimes he's called the Spirit of God, sometimes he's called the Spirit of Christ, sometimes he intercedes with the Father, sometimes he helps us remember the words of Jesus. In all of this, what we see is the tight-knit, interconnected, mutually supportive nature of the Holy Trinity. And I mention this not because I'm interested in fine points of doctrine between the Eastern and the Western Church. I mention this because I fear that we sometimes treat the Holy Spirit as second rate, as maybe not fully God, or at best a kind of emanation from God. We have to be careful to not underestimate the Holy Spirit. He is God, fully God, 100% God. There is no God without the Holy Spirit. He is not an add-on to God. And so, point number one, the Holy Spirit proceeds or is sent by both the Father and the Son. Point number two, the Holy Spirit helps us. That's his job. In fact, according to Jesus, that's his job title. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another parakletos. The ESV translate that translates that word as helper. Sometimes it's translated as advocate or comforter or counselor, but I think helper is a good translation. Literally in Greek, para means alongside, and kletos means to call, so a parakletos is someone who is called alongside. In ancient times, a paraclete was an attorney who would accompany you to court. And by analogy, this is someone who helps us and strengthens us by joining with us and sharing our labors, a sympathetic co-worker, you might think of him as. All of us are stronger when we have someone at our side, having a friend help, even if it's something we can do perfectly well by ourselves, not only makes the work lighter, but it also encourages us and it makes our hearts happy. This vision of the Holy Spirit as a helper has deep roots in the Old Testament. King David repeatedly calls God his helper. Psalm 30:10, "Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper." 
Psalm 54, 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Psalm 18, Psalm 118, 7. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Now, one final note. Those of you who have very sensitive ears for Scripture might have caught that Jesus says, I send you another parakletos, another helper. So who is the first helper, the first parakletos, if the Holy Spirit is another helper? The answer comes in 1 John 2, 1, where the apostle writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, parakletos, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So Jesus is our first advocate, our first comforter, our first helper. And now that he's about to go away, remember the passage that we're reading is the night of the Last Supper. He promises his disciples that he will send another advocate, another comforter, another helper, and that's the Holy Spirit. Those who knew Jesus during his life on earth knew the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us, as Jesus of Nazareth. We who live after the resurrection of Jesus, after the ascension of Jesus, know the presence of God, the helper, the advocate, as the Holy Spirit. Point number two, the Holy Spirit helps us. Point number three, the Holy Spirit is inside us forever. All three members of the Holy Trinity are eternal. There has always been a Father, Son, and a Holy Spirit. But something does change with the coming of Messiah. Before Messiah, in the Old Testament, we have many accounts of the Holy Spirit coming upon individuals. The Holy Spirit would come upon a prophet and he would speak the word of God under inspiration. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the individual like anointing oil on the head of a king. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was episodic rather than steady state, fleeting rather than constant, external rather than internal. In the, Holy, in the New Testament, the presence of the Holy Spirit is represented as indwelling and as permanent. Rather than being something that's poured on top of us, on our heads, for a brief ecstatic moment, the, Holy Spirit, the, the New Testament describes the Holy Spirit as taking up residence, moving in to our bodies. When Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, he tells her, the water that I will give you will become in you a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And that's a very different image than a shower of rain that might fall upon us or an anointing application of a consecrating oil. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, there are two things to observe from these passages from the Apostle Paul. First, God isn't off in some distant place. He's actually right here inside of us. 
Sometimes we're not aware of the Holy Spirit inside of us because we have surrounded ourselves by so many distractions and filled our head with so much noise. But make no mistake about it, God is close by. God is inside of us. Secondly, because of that, a consequence of that is that our bodies are holy. And they don't belong to us. Two great errors coming from different corners need to be avoided. The first error is that the body is somehow shameful or dirty. This idea is more connected with Platonism than with Christianity. If God is pleased to live in our bodies, you can rest assured that our bodies are beautiful and beloved. Christians are not anti-body. We are not ascetics. We do not think of the body as the source of sin and evil. It is actually the heart which is the biblical way of talking about the will and reason and imagination, rather than the body, which is the locus of our sin nature. The second error is that our bodies belong to us. The second error is the belief that our bodies belong to us, that they are somehow our property and that we can do with them as we please. They don't, they aren't, and we can't. You are not your own, Paul says, Our bodies belong to God. And because of that, we need to treat them with respect and care like visitors staying at the Waldorf Astoria. We don't get to burn the place down or tear the carpets up or graffiti over the walls. Our bodies are not our own. They are temples of the Holy Spirit. They have been purchased by the blood of Christ. And Almighty God owns the deed. Now, it's also important to understand that the Holy Spirit is given to and indwells every follower of Christ. The presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us is not an add-on or an extra to our salvation. It's not a higher level of the Christian life. You don't get saved one day and then get the Holy Spirit a different day. We would have never gotten saved in the first place if the Holy Spirit hadn't already shown up. Everyone who is born again is filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, speaking to the people in the streets of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, says this, repent. That's job one. Job two, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And number three, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Point number four, the Holy Spirit reveals truth. The Holy Spirit does a lot of stuff, but one of his really vital functions is to bear witness to and establish the truth about Jesus particularly prior to the establishment of the New Testament canon. In John 14, 26, Jesus says to his disciples, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things I have said to you. Keep in mind, Jesus is just about to die. The disciples have been studying with him for three years. Very soon it's going to be their job to teach other people about Jesus and to tell you the truth. No one was taking notes. In the months and the years to come, the disciples will remember different things about Jesus, what he said and what he did, and they'll begin to write those things down. What we have in the four Gospels are not contemporaneous records of those events, but are accounts that were drawn up Decades later, it is the Holy Spirit who brought to their remembrance all the things that Jesus had said to them. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus 
preaching to a large crowd of people, says in verse 11, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Another function of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you think that this is how preaching happens. That the pastor shows up at 9 o'clock and he steps into the pulpit and then the Holy Spirit teaches him what he's supposed to say in that very hour. There have been plenty of Saturday nights when I've been hanging out with you guys and you'll ask me, so how's the sermon? And I'll say, well, it's a big stinking pile. And you'll say, don't sweat it, Pastor. You've got the Holy Spirit. Just wing it on Sunday. So let me clarify this. Some of you have preached, okay? Bowman has preached, and some of you have preached. I do believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in preaching, any preaching that is pleasing to God. But that work of the Holy Spirit isn't happening on the spur of the moment on Sunday morning. These words that I'm preaching to you right now, which are down here in my manuscript, were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at 1.41 p.m. last Tuesday afternoon. It was 19 minutes before Elder Karen or Jesse stepped into my office to talk to me about the nominating committee in the small group Bible studies. That's how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit has a special way, a role to play in revealing and conveying and preserving God's truth. In the first century, the saints were helped by the Holy Spirit to remember all of that important stuff that Jesus had said to them and all of the things that he did. And then those things were written down for us and we have them in Scripture. Now, saints in later centuries have been helped by the Holy Spirit to understand what those Scriptures mean and to discern how those Scriptures apply to our lives. The amazing thing about the Bible is that it still speaks to us today. It's not outdated. The Gospel of John, which we are studying in this sermon series, is almost 2,000 years old, and it's as fresh today as it ever was. There is also the role of the Holy Spirit in the reception of sermons. One of your jobs is to pray for the Holy Spirit so that you can receive the sermon. There are two parties involved in this sermonic interaction, the preacher and the listener, and they both have a job to do. One of the things that was surprising to me as a young preacher was how differently people hear the same sermon. Not everyone agrees about what's a good sermon or what's a bad sermon. The sermon that you think is a dud might be just the thing that someone else needed to hear that morning. Now there is another aspect of truth connected with the Holy Spirit, and that is discerning um, truth and falsehood uh, with regarding pronouncements that are external to Scripture. We receive the Scriptures as true, as the reliable Word of God, but people say and people even will preach a lot of different things and conflicting things. How can we know what's true and what's false? Here, the Holy Spirit is our helper, and he helps us discern between the spirits. In 1 John 4, 1, the apostle warns the church, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see that they're from God. A lot of people will tell you that they're spiritual. Actually, everyone is spiritual. Even those benighted 
people who believe that they're nothing more than a sack of chemicals produced by random mutations in a universe that just magically always was here. Even those people are spiritual. They just don't know it. We're all spiritual, but that doesn't mean that everything anyone says is necessarily right or is from the Spirit of God. Some things that people say are just plain silly. Some things are flat out wrong, and some are positively dangerous. Some questions can be answered by a simple appeal to Scripture. For example, if someone tells you that Jesus didn't die on a cross, and you read in the four Gospels and many epistles that he did, you can be pretty sure that the so-called prophet who says that Jesus wasn't crucified is just wrong. End of discussion. No need for debate even. The Apostle, Paul, the Apostle John, in our reading from 1 John, warns the church about false prophets and the spirit of the Antichrist. He's not being dramatic. He's being matter-of-fact. My encouragement to us is that we not feel that we have to enter into uh, a debate with false prophets uh, who speak with a false spirit. I suppose we can pray for them, for their enlightenment, but it's never a good idea to enter into a conversation with a dark spirit. When Satan engaged Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus didn't argue with him. He just quoted scripture. While the spirit of Christ must be distinguished from a false spirit or the spirit of the Antichrist, I'd also like to point out two other subtle distinctions that we need to make that are uh, less dramatic. That is, between the Holy Spirit and the zeitgeist, or the spirit of the times, and the Holy Spirit and esprit de corps, or the spirit of the crowd. Having been up close and personal with many of the debates that happened in the PCUSA in the last decade and a half, I believe that and this is the word of Dan, this is not the word of God, I believe that our former denomination followed the zeitgeist, the spirit of the time, rather than the Holy Spirit. Without a doubt, the decisions they made are at odds with the plain teaching of Scripture, and unless I'm not going to believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then I have to believe that their spiritual antennae picked up on the zeitgeist rather than the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is confused with esprit de corps. There can be an infectious spirit in a group of people or a team or watching a sporting event or at a concert. That swelling feeling of camaraderie and good fellowship that we feel in those situations is delightful, but that doesn't mean that it is the Holy Spirit because gang violence and lynch mobs also have a certain esprit de corps and they clearly are evil. So when we are feeling swept away by the crowd, we should pause and ask ourselves, is this of God? Does it conform to what's been revealed to us in Scripture? Other matters might require more specific discernment, and the Holy Spirit is our helper in this regard. The session, which is the governing body of this church, a board of elders, their primary function is to be a spiritual discernment body. That's what they do in their most core function. They meet 
and then they pray together to answer questions like, what is God leading us to do? Uh, Where does God want us to be in this coming year? And the Holy Spirit is involved uh, in that in in a corporate way. So point number four, and this is a, a, multi, uh, a multi-sided uh, point, the Holy Spirit reveals truth. That's why Jesus especially calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. So I don't know where you are at with the Holy Spirit. It seems like we're kind of all over the place uh, in terms of our relationship with him. Some of us feel very attuned to the Holy Spirit. Others find him rather mysterious. So let me tell you a little bit about what's been happening with me in the past week. There are a number of things that I am struggling with uh, in my own life, things that I know need to be adjusted and changed. And this past week, meditating on this passage from the Gospel of John has been for me a real encouragement to uh, be able to think of the Holy Spirit as my helper in this struggle. Not that I can be lazy or say, oh, you know, God will take care of that and I don't need to do anything, but I've been able to see the Holy Spirit as my co-worker, as my helper, as my encourager, as my advocate in this struggle, and that has been uh, very sweet for me this past week. I would like to encourage all of us uh, in this coming week to think about the Holy Spirit, to think about him being actually present in your body and that your body is the holy temple which, the, which uh, he occupies, helping you, reminding you of the truth, coming to you from both the Father and from Jesus Christ. And I would like to encourage you to have a powerful, spirit-filled week as you let these truths of Scripture, these words from Jesus, settle into your hearts. Let us pray. Eternal God, we thank you for your word. Your word is as true today as it has always been. And we pray this morning that you would let your words uh, settle into our hearts and shape our minds. We pray that uh, we might have the mind of Christ, that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, We pray that our desires might be uh, the desires that are pleasing to you. We ask these favors in the name of Jesus. Amen.